By the way, many of you wanted the verses. We posted the verses that Ray used last week on Facebook. We had technical difficulties getting new version going. So if you want those verses, they are on Facebook. You can look at those, and there's a link to those on that. Uh, last week, my family and I, we had a plan to go to Disneyland. That all kind of fell through. And so we ended up taking uh, Ben, who's our middle, and Zach, our youngest, along with some friends and people that we call family on basically what we call the Magical Mystery Tour. And it was all the places that Jody and I used to hang out and go to uh, when we were in Southern California going to college. And I, I think they had a good time, or at least they told us they had a good time. And uh, we felt kind of cool because they, they liked the places that we like. We we're like, oh, we're hip. All right. So anyway, so we got back and, uh, and uh, we're, we're there for that. So, hey, I just want to thank you guys uh, just again. Uh, just, just so blessed to have a church that um, I know is just doing amazing things. And last week was an example of that. And so um, I have a, a, a longer message and I got to push through. Um, folks, get your version out, get your Bibles out, get ready to flip, uh, get on the edge of your seat, lean forward, do what you have to do, because uh, this message is going to have a lot uh, to it. We've been doing uh, this series on the idea that we have a God who sustains us. And we've been calling this one sustenance, that do we believe that God is our sustenance, meaning that all areas of our lives, all areas of our lives, do we believe that he will sustain us, that we can live by his words, not just bread alone, but by his words. And so we've been going through that. Last week, Ray took you through how literally the body of Christ sustains us. And then Laura looked at what does it mean that to have the word of God sustain us? Tim, how does prayer sustain us? Before that, how does the spirit sustain us? And so we've just been going through this and we want this to be a foundational, uh, really a foundational part for you as a believer to say, I have a God who sustains me. And yes, I walk through the idea that God sustains our needs. Today, though, we're going to be tackling uh, a kind of an important area. Before I do that, I want to give you again, we've done this every week. This is the definition of sustenance, a means of support, maintenance, or subsistence. Food, provisions, or also nourishment, right? We, we get those things. Two, the act of sustaining, the state of being sustained. When I take care of my kids, I'm sustaining them, make sure they have food and have the things they need. And that is uh, supplying or being supplied with the necessities of life. And C... Uh, three, I'm sorry, something that gives support, endurance, uh, or endurance. And so what I want to do is that I want us uh, to really, to see what this is going to be about. We're going to be going into Habakkuk. Let me tell you where this is, message is going. Does God sustain us through suffering? Does God sustain us through suffering? What is the role of suffering in this sustaining process? And I'm going to be taking you to Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 2. And these are Habakkuk's words. Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Let me just let that sit there for a second. Lord, how long shall I cry for help? If we're honest, some of us have been right there. Lord, I've, I've been... I've been praying a lot. And I've been seeking you a lot. And we look at our circumstances and we, 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 we play this game in our mind that we don't deserve to be there. Or maybe the thing doesn't, shouldn't have happened to our family member. Or I shouldn't have lost that job. Or 
more importantly, maybe I'm dealing with something inside of me emotionally, or I have a sin that I just am not conquering. Oh, long, oh Lord, how long should I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you, violence! And you will not say. This is Habakkuk just pouring out his heart. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So when I, I told you this is one of the few series that I have redone, uh, um, I did this back uh, years ago. And this one, when I looked at this specific one, when I looked at this issue, I want you to know that I, I rewrote all of this. And the reason why is, is that when I did this the first time, it was much more about us suffering at the hand of someone maybe uh, who's persecuting us because we're a believer. But the reality is, is that very few of us suffer that way. It was true, by the way, for the people that it was being written to, they were suffering for being believers, and they were suffering at the hands of those that would hurt them. But that's really not true for us. Our suffering, for the most part, comes mainly from our own sin and our own struggles and the things that happen in our lives. Our suffering comes because we expect things of God that we either see or don't see. And yes, there are, I'm going to get into that there's a place where you can suffer at the hands of others because of your belief. But I just want you to know that I want to start with this idea that a lot of time our suffering is very quiet and very silent and very alone. And when you get to Habakkuk, you read through the whole thing, and I wish we could do a sermon on Habakkuk, and maybe one day we will. And we get to the last three verses of Habakkuk, which, by the way, when in high school, for some idiotic reason, I'm being serious, I chose these as my favorite verses, which, by the way, did not know that, that someday that these verses would actually become really important in my life. At the time, I thought I was being super spiritual. Does that make sense? But I had no idea the depth of what these were. So it starts with him saying, God, where are you? Look how it ends. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Folks, that is desolation. To an economy that, by the way, worked everything off of their produce and their flocks. This is what Habakkuk's saying. This is all gone. It's gone. When I chose this in high school, I lived under my parents' roof, had everything I needed. Does that make sense? I was not experiencing no herds in the stall. I was not experiencing that the vines had shriveled up. And so just, I look back and I go, what were you doing? But Habakkuk, who starts with God, where are you? Why can't you hear me? Ends with, though, 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 yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my, my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk ends with saying, listen. Even though I'm wondering where you are and how come you're letting this happen, I know you're my strength. 
And I know you have the ability to take me and bring me up and raise me up. And his faith is there. So when we're in suffering, do we trust in our places that I can't see God moving, that my God is still there and is still strong and is still valid and still loves me and still holds me? And can I say that God the Lord is my strength? He makes my feet like the deer's. And he makes me tread on high places. Because in suffering, we need to know that we do have a refuge and a strong place to land. David said this way in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is David speaking, going, God, it just feels like it's going on forever. It feels like you're not showing up. It feels like they're winning. It feels like I'm losing. I feel like I'm in this dark hole. Then you jump down to verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, we have these moments where we get into this place of struggle and we get into this place, but do we so quickly forget how bountiful God has been? God has bountifully been with me, and yet I can quickly put all that aside and go, where are you? And God's going, I'm faithful. I've always been faithful to you, Jeff. I've never left you. But we play this game in our head that because he's silent or because he's not saying yes to our prayers the way we want him to, that all of a sudden he's abandoned us and God goes, that's not me. That's your version of me, but it's not me. And when I wake up, I am able to say, I have trusted in his steadfast love. And my hope and my desire is that we become people that when we have that pity party and we get into this place of, God, where are you? God, where are you? We hear that he is right here and we say, thank you. You're allowing this for a reason. There's something you're doing through this. You are making me see that you have me, that you sustain me. That I literally, is this, that I am in between literally his shoulders. Man, do I play a game in my head. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. That's what Elijah did. Remember when he, he had the big fireball come down and consume it? And then Jezebel goes, by this time tomorrow you're going to be dead. And then he goes and runs off into the desert. And God goes, what are you doing here? And he goes, I'm all alone. Just let me die. He's had the most incredible experience with God. And yet he's in this spot. How quickly we get to this place. And God goes, I have you. You're not alone. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Because we have this really wrong concept that if something bad is happening to us, therefore either God is wrong or the situation is wrong when God just goes, no, I'm allowing this because it is actually in these moments of trials that you grow. For years, for years, for years, for years, for years, I have had the phrase, and I've said it, and people still come up to me today and say it. I said this, that 
Hard is not wrong. Hard is just hard. Right? But we have a mentality that says if something's hard, then it has to be wrong. No, it's not. Hard is not wrong. Hard is just hard. And I've said that for years, and, and, and God is, is, is saying those words back to me. Jeff, do you trust me that when these trials come, it's just hard. It's not wrong. I'm not angry at you. I'm not trying to punish you. This is a growth time for you. And I'm here. And I have not left you. It's just hard. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. See, this is the thing. God goes, if you're going to be a part of me, Christ suffered. If you're going to be in his camp, it's coming your way too. But rejoice so far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when, the glor- when his glory is revealed. To get to the place where you get to stand with him in glory, you actually have to be in that place. You have to be in that place of being willing to suffer for him. And yes, maybe this is someone who, who comes after you because you're a believer. Maybe this is someone who doesn't do business with you because you follow Christ or doesn't give you the promotion because they don't like that you're a believer. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of the God rests upon you. If you're insulted, it's because you're living in something, that, by the way, you're a target. If someone's coming after you, you're doing something enough to be noticed. By the way, Satan doesn't like it when you're noticed. But let no one suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Okay, that's ridiculous. Let's let's be honest. That's not the reason you should be suffering. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let him glorify God. There is something about when the world watches us, sorry, suffer, that they go, why are you doing this? Because it gives glory to him. Because it's not just the suffering, it's how. And I've met people in the hardest times who are just turning and, and giving God praise and glory, and you go, God, how are you glorified in this except for this person is allowing their suffering to be a megaphone to your glory? For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. For it, for it is time for the judgment begins to the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faith creator. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So there's this thing in suffering that is meant to do something pretty powerful for us. So let me just say it to you this way. China, uh, uh, actually, um, the government kicked out all of the Western missionaries. They didn't want uh, Christianity to be uh, done, so what they did was they kicked out all the Western missionaries. Now, by the way, what I'm about to tell you is a very much of a generalization. Please understand that. When that happened, the West, America, uh, even parts of Europe, we kind of just 
felt like we had lost. All of our missionaries were sent home, and it was just a big defeat. And there was almost in, in, in that time kind of a, of a, ah. Here's what's interesting. In that suffering, the church in China exploded. So we're over here thinking that this is defeat, and God goes, no, actually, here's what happened. When we got you out of the way, the people took up the mantle for themselves and became the church to their own people. When we got rid of the missionaries, which, by the way, they they were relying on to be the ones that had all the truth, to be the ones that had all the knowledge, when they were gone, all of a sudden, the people looked around and goes, well, we have God's word, that's good enough, and they stepped into that role. Can I say something to you? The two nations... The, the number one missionary sending groups to the Middle East is China and Korea. China and Korea send more missionaries to the Middle East than any of the Western countries. See, what happened is when that suffering came, and by the way, we're not talking little suffering. Home church pastors were beaten, imprisoned. Their stuff was taken away. And you have people going, well, you can't stop us because our God says when we suffer, we're more like him. Praise God. You can't be the people that are going, suffering means we're doing the right thing. The more suffering came, the more they went, yay! God's glory is going to expand. And the church exploded. Why? Because people who were destitute and hurting saw people who had hope in something beyond themselves. And when I have to have that, and the church exploded. One of the reasons I think we're seeing the decline of the church in the Americas, honestly, sorry, we don't suffer. Because we don't need to rely on God. We rely on our programs and our buildings. We don't rely on the fact that we need to stand in those places. And so I'm just telling you right now, I don't want America to have suffering. By the way, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just as much of a pansy American as everybody else. <laughs> but we better get ready for it, folks, because I do believe in my lifetime it's coming. It's coming. And the reason why this church has set to try to push and equip you is if myself and Tim and Laura and the rest of our staff is all told we can't do this more, we want you to go, we're good. We have God's word and I have a living room. Let's go. That's our heart. If you want to know why we're here to equip the church for uh, works for ministry, that's why. If they put chains on this door, you go, it's a building. I got a living room or a garage. Let's go. I got a warehouse at my factory. Let's go. Folks, you don't need a church staff. And if God takes the church staffs away, I want you to go, we're good. And as the suffering comes, I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart, the church will explode. 1 Peter 1, 6-9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out this little section because Paul kind of adds some flavor. But what happens is then we lose what's being said between that little flavor. So I'm going to take the flavor out and we're going to read it again. Here we go. So that tested... Genuineness, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. Watch this again. That the tested genuineness of your faith. So here's the point. 
If you're going to have a genuine faith, it has to be what? Tested. Folks, I'm just telling you, I am the perfect football player standing in the stands. Let me say that to you again. I am the perfect football player standing in the stands. Every play. Why did you do that? I would have done that. I would have taken that guy out. I wouldn't have let that guy beat me. I would have got that ball. I wouldn't have thrown that ball that way. I would have made sure that person got it. Guess what? I don't have a 300-pound man about to crush me. I don't have to remember all the plays. I don't have to the fact that I've been injured for five uh, games but didn't tell anybody because I want to play. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I can stand and go, oh, but here's the deal. Get tested, Jeff. Get out on the field. Let that guy hit you once, and let's see how much you want to stand in the pocket. Sorry, I know for you football people don't like football. Sorry, that's my illustration today. We're moving on. Now, <laughs> folks, our faith has got to be tested. And how is it tested? Well, it isn't a written test. It isn't a fill in the blank. And it isn't multiple choice. We are tested when God goes, do you have faith in me? Okay, experience this. You still have faith in me? Experience this. You still have faith in me? Now watch this. Though you have not seen him, we love him. Though you do not, see, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When you are tested, you are obtaining the outcome of your faith. Listen, I don't want to have faith just to have faith. I want to have faith because it gets me something, and what it gets me is my salvation. And I want to obtain that. I don't want to live this life and not be in the next one. I don't want to get all of what this world offers and think this is all that there is. There is an eternity waiting for me. This is a dot. I want to be a part of the marathon. But to do that, I have to be aware that suffering is going to come. By the way, at the hands of other people and sometimes at the hand of my own sin. When we suffer, I'm just going to be honest with you. When we suffer, it's amazing how that brings us to our knees before the cross. Suffering has a way for us to just kind of just start letting go of all these things. And remember that, that verse I took out says that God will refine us. Well, how do you refine that? With heat. Because I've been leaning on these things and God goes, I'm going to burn those up. I've been, I've been resting on these things. That's all going to burn. What you do have is me. And so what happens is through suffering, all of a sudden, I'll be honest with you, my prayer life goes up. I start looking for him. I start asking for him to be there. And God goes, I've been here the whole time. I just wanted you to acknowledge it. And so what happens for us is that God says to, the, uh, says to us, um, are you done trying to fix this yourself? You want me to take care of this? And suffering brings us to those places. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. It's the context. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm in a trial. Woo! Now, um, 
I am the eternal optimist. I am the half full and above guy. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Um, everything, I, I, I'm the half full and above guy. And, and we all know by this stage in our lives if we're a half full or a half empty person, right? We can literally just move everyone. Okay, all you half empties move over here and all the half fulls move over here. And by the way, how many of you are married to the opposite of you? Raise your hand. Isn't that fun? Isn't that great? No. I drive my wife nuts because she's like, Jeff, I see reality. You're up here, up here. I need reality. And she's right. There's so many times that I'm just like, not even in the realm of reality. Because I'm like, it'll all work out fine. Track record says it won't, but I'm going to believe it will this time. But here's what I want to say to you. If we could change our mindset that when trials come, all of a sudden joy comes in because we know that God's still in it. Listen to me. It's not wrong. It's just hard. Do you hear me say that? It's not wrong. It's just hard. And God goes, in this hardness, I'm going to grow you and stretch you, and I'm going to do something that you would not have done if I hadn't have brought you through this trial. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This thing of I'm not moving, I'm going to be here, I'm not going to let this thing, I am going to be steadfast. Watch this. When we talk about steadfastness, it anchors us that we're like, I'm not moving. You can bring whatever trial you want. I'm not moving. And God goes, now you're getting it. And when you start to anchor in on his truth, it becomes powerful. Oh, I love when my computer does this. Here we go. And let steadfastness have its full effect. And let steadfastness have its full effect. When you cannot be moved, things start changing. I'm not changing. I mean, you're no longer, that trial doesn't have the ability to do what it was meant to do, which is probably move you off of you at that point or get you to change direction. I'm not moving. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Matthew 10, 21 through 23. Brothers, we, del- we will, de- I'm sorry. Brothers, will, uh, brother will deliver brother over to death and a father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endured to the end will be saved. Let me just explain to you what that just said. If you become a father, follower of Christ, by the way, this is happening right now in the Middle East is happening right now in China, is happening right now in all of these nations where literally someone is coming to Christ and a father is handing them over to death because they're considered an infidel or they're considering someone who's against the... It's happening right now. It's happening. Let's go back and look at that. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. Why? Because one who stands up for Christ... They're very family members. 
Now, folks, I want you to hear the heart of that. We don't experience that here in the United States, but I want you to imagine the crushing blow of being someone who chooses Christ and know that their parents would hand them over, betray them. And you'll be hated all for my name's sake. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you're one of them. And folks, that message is coming really quickly. There's going to be people taking their bumper stickers off their car. Their little fish stickers. Because they're not going to like what's going to come down the pipe. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Watch this. The one who endures to the end will be saved. That is steadfastness. And it's going to be hard. Luke 21, 16 through 19. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. This is the exact thing being said in two different gospels. But not a hair on your head will perish. By endurance, your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now remember, our definition of sustenance, number three, something that gives support, endurance, or strength. How do we endure through realizing that he's in it? See, again, when we don't have things go our way or it doesn't go the way we thought, we think we've lost. And God goes, no, I need you to stay in there because actually this, what you're getting is what comes with being close to me. When your family turns on you because you become a follower of Jesus, that's when you go, no, you endure to the end. Because this says that that is what we have. Romans 5, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now watch this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. So let me just be very blunt with you. You didn't just join a church. Maybe you did. But if you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you enjoyed a movement and a kingdom, which, by the way, will be attacked all the way to the very end. And he's looking at you and saying this. When the tough gets going, are you going to turn and run, or are you going to endure? Are you going to endure? Suffering comes, even at the act of our own sin. When I'm in my own place, God goes, I'm here. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I'm here. I know you can't see me. Maybe you feel like you're in a dark hole, but I'm here. Do we, in those moments, in that place of hard, do we go, God, you have me. I trust you. You have not forgotten me. And again, in that Knowing suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So when I endure, then God goes, I take your endurance, your character grows, and then when your character grows, you start to realize how good God is, and guess what happens? Hope comes. Hope comes. Hope comes. 
That's how he sustains us through suffering. He sustains us. He goes, Jeff, endure this moment. Trust me that I have not left you. I am with you. I am fighting for you. And then as you grow, your character grows. And all of a sudden, you start being the person that God wants you to be. And then as you start stepping into that role, hope comes. Hope comes. Watch this. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at that right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for you when you had it all together. He didn't die for you when you had endured and became strong. He He died for you when you were at your worst. And he's asking you and begging you to say this, please endure. Please be steadfast. Please know I haven't left you. No matter how dark it is, no matter when you're saying, God, where are you? I am here and I will not leave you. And I know these things are tough, but you need to push into those moments and you need to trust that I'm there. And if you will, character will be involved and in that you will get hope and I will not put your hope to shame. I will not. And we got to step into those places. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. When you, by the way, have stood the test. See, the thing is, is that we're supposed to understand this is to be hard. And to be honest, we in America just don't experience much hard in our Christianity. You just don't. Okay. I want to read to you. We, we did a series, and I want to encourage you if you want to go back. We did a whole series called uh, Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8 is a, is a powerful chapter. Uh, we did a whole series on it. You can go back and, and, and look that up. I'm going to read to you uh, verses 31 through 39 from Romans chapter 8, and with the context of all of what we've just talked about, I want you to hear this afresh, given the fact that we have a God that says you're going to struggle, but I, I sustain you through that, and I give you hope. Put that filter on, and read along as I read aloud. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he will not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day, day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in a struggle, know that he sent his son to be with you, to die for you, and sent his Holy Spirit when it is hard. And you should have joy because God has considered you worthy. This is how I'm going to end this message. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, they're the same, kidding. Uh, Peter, who denied Jesus, gets before the Sanhedrin, and they uh, are mad at him because they're saying that they, of course, put Jesus on the cross, and so they say, hey, you can't uh, preach this anymore. And he goes, um, is it best to listen to you or to God? We're going to choose God. And they go, well, if you do that, there's punishment. They're like, we're good. And they beat them and told them, do not preach again in his name. And I love this line. And they left rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for his name. If we get hearts that go, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, and whatever comes, praise God and thank you that I am worthy worthy to have this happen to me. Yes, it's hard, but it's not wrong. And if I will endure and be steadfast, I will gain character, and my character will give me hope. And listen to me, you have a God who sustains you in suffering. Lean on him. Nothing else. Him and him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Across this room, there are people that are suffering in different ways. Yes, not many of us are suffering because uh, we call upon your name. It could happen in the future. I believe it's going to happen in the future. But Father, be with us as we just wonder where you are. If we're in this place that we've caused ourselves or other people have come into our lives and have hurt us, Father, you're there. Let us endure. Let us always put you first. And let us walk 